Thank you, choir, orchestra, Caroline. Well, it's good to have Steve back. I thought he would be a little more energetic after being gone for a week, but he's sort of subdued today for Steve. Well, we are fallen people who live in a fallen world. And that fact impacts the totality of our being. It affects us physically that we are fallen people in a fallen world. I read the other day that 30% of all television ads have to do with healthcare products or drugs. The average American spends 10% of their income on healthcare issues. We consume four ton of aspirin a day in this country. Because we are a fallen people and live in a fallen world, it impacts us physically. But not only does it impact us physically, it also impacts us spiritually because as a result, we are separated from God. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So the scripture then tells us that we are a fallen people, we live in a fallen world, and we are affected by our condition, and yet God has compassion on our condition. Today we conclude our Give Me Five series. I have preached, this will be the fifth message from that series. The first was five stones, and I gave you five principles to slay your giant. The second one was five loaves, and that dealt with ministry. The third was five talents, which was a lesson on practical Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian? Last week, it was five oxen, and those are the excuses that we give today. It is five porticos. And here we see the compassion of God in his dealing with man in his fallen condition. It is the third miracle in John's gospel. The setting is Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda. There is a picture of Bethesda. The name literally means house of mercy. It is near the church of St. Anne. Many of you have been there. When one goes to the church of St. Anne, you always sing because everyone sounds good at St. Anne. Something about the acoustics, it just sort of goes around and we go in there and sing. Even I sound good at St. Anne. One commentary said that there is a degree of symbolism in the location because the pool can represent the law and man's inability to meet the requirements of the law. So that's what we're looking at today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. We begin reading in verse number 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool 
and stirred up the water. Whoever then first after the stirring up of the water stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but when I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. I would imagine that you are familiar with this story, and for our story, it begins with the question in verse number six Do you wish to get well? There is no question concerning the ability of God. We know that God is able. We sang that earlier today. God is able. He is able to heal the sick. The scripture tells a story about ten lepers coming to Jesus and asking for healing. And Jesus miraculously healed them. We know that he can heal. There is a story of Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, sitting outside the city of Jericho. Jesus was passing by one day when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus. He was familiar with the fact that he was a healer, so he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called him to himself. And Jesus healed him. He gave him his sight. We know that, that Jesus can heal. Now, I believe that Jesus still heals today. Now, Perhaps not like you see on television, but I do believe that God has the power. I believe that he has the compassion. I believe that he has the ability. And I believe that God still heals today. Dr. Will Mayo of Mayo Clinic wrote, I have seen patients that were dead by all standards. We knew they could not live, but I have seen a minister come to the bedside and do something for them that I could not do, although I have done everything in my professional power. But something touched some immortal spark in him, and in defiance of medical knowledge and materialistic common sense, that patient lived. There is no question about the ability of God. He has the ability to heal some of you probably have seen that in your own experiences with perhaps your own family and friends. God has the power to mend marriages, and aren't you grateful for that? I had a staff member in a previous church. His wife was unfaithful. They came and talked with me, and they decided rather than to end the marriage, rather than to get a divorce, that they were going to seek God and see if God could do something. They are now parents, grandparents, and have been married for almost 50 years in love with each other. God can do that. I can't. Some counselor cannot. Some program cannot. But God can because he's able. 
God is able to heal. He is able to mend marriages. He is able to change lives. One of the most dramatic stories in all of Scripture was the story of the Apostle Paul. Before he became a follower of Christ, he was a persecutor of the church. But on the road to Damascus, his life was touched and he was changed. And the Bible says, And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This man who had persecuted the church of Christ, who believed that it was all anathema, this man was changed when he was touched by God. Why? Because the Lord can change lives. He can change your life. There is no question about the ability of God. God has the ability, but he has a question for men. Do you wish to get well? I don't know how that strikes you, but it seems somewhat absurd to me that a man is here, he has been lame all this time, and Jesus comes by and says, do you wish to get well? Seems like a strange question to me. Why would he ask that? Why would it even be a question? Well, maybe it's because some people have built their lives around their illness, around the malady that they have. There are some people actually who become comfortable with it. It becomes their identity, and there is a certain amount of comfort that they have in their illness. There are some people who have been sick so long they can actually read their doctor's writings. The man at the pool might have been comfortable. Oh, we're speculating, I don't know. But why would Jesus ask the question, do you wish to get well? Maybe he was comfortable. He had been coming to this pool for 38 years. He had been lame for 38 years. I'm sure that he knew all the people there. They all knew him. They knew his family. He knew their families. They might have gotten together on Saturday to watch football. I don't know, but maybe he was just comfortable there. He had been in that condition so long that he had become comfortable with it. We have all heard the stories about a prisoner who gets out of prison and then will do something to go back to prison because he is more comfortable inside rather than outside. Do you wish to get well? Maybe he was comfortable. There are some people who stay in their sickness because of sympathy. They enjoy the sympathy that goes along with it. I'm going to have, my, have knee surgery on Wednesday. And I already have a list of things that Linda's going to be doing for me while I'm recovering. <laughs> you know, you like to be taken care of, right? I mean, whenever you're sick, you enjoy just sort of lying around, having someone wait on you, check on you, doing those. So she's going to be very busy for the next few days. Do you wish to get well? Maybe it was because he enjoyed the sympathy that went with his condition. Some use sickness as a means to manipulate or to control, to have control of something. How many times have I heard someone say, well, she took to her sickbed. Sometimes we use our sickness to manipulate someone else to get them to do what we want them to do, to be in control. Dave Reaver is a disabled Vietnam veteran. You might have seen him on television. His, uh, he has some deformity as a result of the 
event that happened in his life there, committed to the Lord. But he told a story about a friend of his back in the 1960s. He did not want to be drafted. He didn't want to go to Vietnam. And so he was trying to figure out how he could get out of being drafted because they drafted people back then. So he decided he'd go to the dentist and have all of his teeth pulled. He went to the dentist and had his teeth all pulled. And then sure enough, he received his draft notice. He went in for his physical and was rejected because he had flat feet. Sometimes we try to control things with our physical condition. There are some people who feel that they are being punished for some unconfessed sin, for something in their life, therefore they are actually deserving of their disease or their malady, and so they really don't want to be made well. We know that's true physically, but ladies and gentlemen, it is also true spiritually. If the same question is asked, do you want to get well spiritually? The truth is there are some people who prefer lostness. They would rather be lost, separated from the Lord. Because if I'm not a Christian, then I'm not expected to go to church. If I'm not a Christian, certainly I don't have to tithe. No one expects me to do that. I don't witness. I don't have to do all of these things. And so some people prefer their lost condition. There are some Christians who are lukewarm in their commitment to the Lord and they actually prefer to remain in that lukewarm condition because it exempts them from sacrifice. You see, if I really get close to the Lord, if I become committed to the Lord, then there might be some sacrifice expected of me. Now look at Stephen. Stephen was committed to, to the Lord, but he was always also stoned to death because of that commitment. I looked to the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul was committed to the Lord, but he was beheaded because of that commitment. So what would God do to me if I really become committed to the Lord? Maybe I'm sort of lukewarm in my relationship to Christ, and I really became committed to Him. What would He expect of me? He might want me to be a missionary or something. So I'm, I'm not going to get too close to him because he might want me to do something. And as I get close to him, then my responsibility is increased and I might not like his plan. Moses didn't. When the Lord met Moses at the burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses said, you know, God, I'm not a good talker. I'm sort of slow of speech. Why don't you let Aaron do it? He's a lot better speaker than I am. He didn't think it was a good idea. When the Lord went to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet to my people. I want you to give to them my word. Jeremiah said, God, I'm young. I'm inexperienced. I'm not sure I can handle it. Maybe someone else ought to do it. I'm too young. When the Lord went to Abraham and said, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a child, a part of my promise to you, he said, God, you might not have noticed, but we are too old to have children. You see, sometimes we, we, we are comfortable where we are because we don't want to get too close to God. He might expect something from me, and I might not like what he wants me to do. So the question is an obvious question. Do you want to get well? 
That's a good question. Do you want to get well? As I look at it, the interesting thing to me is that the man did not answer the question in verse number 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. That was not what Jesus asked him. He said, do you want to get well? He didn't answer the question. Instead, he gave excuses. He said, I don't have someone to put me in the pool. There's no man here to do that. Or when I begin trying to get into the pool so that I might be healed, someone else gets in first. I'm not as fast as they are. So he really didn't answer the question. But the tactic of making excuse goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The Lord put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and told them not to eat of the forbidden fruit. When they disobeyed the Lord, God confronted them with what they had done. They tried to hide from the Lord. And when God asked them, said, what, what have you done? Did Adam take responsibility for his action? No, he blamed his wife. Genesis 3.12, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. It's because of her, Lord. And then when God turned to the woman, she blamed the serpent. In Genesis 3.13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. She didn't accept responsibility for her actions either. She blamed the serpent. The truth is both of them blamed God. Did you notice that Adam said, The woman whom you gave me? Lord, I didn't ask for a woman. I didn't even know what a woman was. You came up with the idea, you're the one who put the woman here, thus it is your fault. Eve did the same thing. God, who put that snake in the garden? It wasn't me. It was you. So God, this is your responsibility. You're the one who did it. We use those same tactics of Blaming someone else for what I do for my condition. Society. Not my fault, it's society's fault. That was Pilate. When Jesus was brought before Pilate, Pilate, the Bible says, thoroughly interrogated him. After he had done so, he came back and said, as far as I can tell, he has done nothing wrong. He certainly has done nothing worthy of death, the people began to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate washed his hands and said, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to that yourself. So Pilate then said, it's not my fault, the crucifixion of Jesus, not my fault, it's the people. They are the ones who demanded that he be crucified. I washed my hands of it, I am clean of it, I am innocent of it, not my fault, it's society's fault. Or we sometimes blame our families. It's not my fault, it's my family's fault. I have a temper, I'm angry, I can't control it sometimes. But my dad was that way, so it's his fault, not mine. I have a weight problem because, you know, fat runs in my family. So it's not my fault, actually. It's not that I eat too much. It's, it's that I have these bad genes that I'm having to try to deal with. Or we blame our husband or we blame our wives. One man said, I would stop drinking if she would stop nagging. 
So it isn't my fault, it's her. She is the one who is responsible for this. So we blame someone else. You know, I have this condition, but I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. And I try to get in, someone else gets there first. It's not my fault, it's someone else's fault. King William of Potsdam visited a prison in England. Every prisoner he saw wanted to be pardoned and declared that they were innocent except one. The king said to the warden, get this guilty man out of the prison before he corrupts all these innocent men. And he was set free. Do you want to get well? Well, I, you know, I'm in this condition because I, nobody puts me in the pool and someone else gets in first. So the Lord calls for an action. He is the healer, but we have to act. Verse number eight, Jesus said to him, arise, take up your pallet, and walk. This man for four decades had not stood on his feet. And Jesus gives the command, arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And when he responded to that command, he was made whole. Look at verse 9. And immediately the man became well. When he acted on the command, he was made whole. It was instantaneous. It was not progressive, just like that, he was healed. It was instantaneous. It was complete. I would have expected a man who hadn't walked for 38 years to stumble around a little bit, you know, to wobble a little bit, but he didn't. It was undeniable. It was a complete healing. He was made whole when he responded to the command that the Lord gave. Folks, we are saved we are saved by God's grace, but it includes action on your part. I know there are many who are universalists today, and unfortunately, there are those in the church who just believe everybody's going to be saved. That's not scriptural. That's not what the scripture teaches. We are saved by grace, but there is action on our part. We must believe the impossible. Do you know the word impossible is used nine times in the scripture? Five of those times it speaks of those things that are impossible with man, but possible with God. If we do not see God as the God of the impossible, we lose vision. We have no vision of the supernatural. If we do not see a God of the impossible, we lose hope. There is no hope if we don't see the God of the impossible. Lost can't be saved. These people are so far away from God, they can't be saved so we don't witness. My prayers are not answered so I don't pray. America's falling apart and we just despair. I see that so much in the church today and it, it grieves me when I talk with people who are the people of God. A God who is the God of the impossible. And yet as we talk about the country that we love, we despair rather than go to the Lord. We're to trust in the Lord to do the impossible. He can save. It doesn't make any difference who a person is. It matters not what they have done, their background, anything else. He can save. Because he died on the cross shedding his blood to pay for the sins of man. He can save. 
He can heal. He has the capability of healing. He can mend marriages. He can do those things. And folks, he can set revival. I've read about the great revivals that have taken place various times in this country and around the world. And when the people of God really, really begin to cry out to God, when we really begin to look to God saying, God, be merciful. There's some guys who come in my office every Sunday morning and pray with me. As we were standing there this morning holding hands about to pray, we were talking about some of the conditions in the world today and in our country today. One of them simply said, God help us. That's the right prayer. God help us. Folks, it's not in a political party. It is not in some program. It is in God. And if we do not turn back to God, then we continue down the road we're going. God gave a command to achieve the impossible in verse number 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Did you notice his condition? Here is a man who has been by the pool for 38 years, lame. And now Jesus said, You have become well. And then did you notice what he said? Do not sin anymore. Now all sickness is not the result of sin, but in this case, apparently it was. That was the reason Jesus said in this verse, do not sin anymore. A relationship to God comes with expectation. I'm afraid today that we are so interested in getting people in the church and having a big crowd and doing all the things that we do that we forget this part. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that we are saved by grace. But when you've been saved, there is an expectation that goes with it. Cardinal Cassidy said, you would not say that we were saved by grace and can do anything we choose. Salvation requires a disciplined life. James wrote the same thing in Scripture, faith without works is dead, being alone. You talk about your faith in the Lord, faith without works is dead, being alone. It isn't real. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us exactly what is expected in verses 1 through 3. He said, we lay aside every cumbrance. We put aside those things that trip us up, that slow us down, those sins in our life. We are expected to put them away. And then he says, and run with endurance the race that is set before us. We don't give up. We don't quit when it gets tough. We run with endurance. He said, with our eyes focused on Jesus, looking to Jesus, because Jesus is the one who makes us whole. Now let me conclude. The question has not changed. Same for you as it was for the man in the story. Do you want to get well? Good question. Because you may not. Do you want to get well? You can give excuses as to why you don't want to trust the Lord. We all have them. And you can offer them. Or you can turn to Him in faith 
and be made whole. One of my favorite stories is a story about Iris Blue. Iris was a prostitute in Phoenix, Arizona. There was a pastor in Phoenix who became interested in her and her relationship to the Lord or her lack of it. So he began to pray for her, witness to her, and so forth. And he did so for a long time. After a while, Iris came under conviction. The Holy Spirit was bringing conviction to her about her lack of a relationship with God. And so she told the pastor that she wanted to, to be saved, that she wanted to know the Lord, she wanted to be forgiven. So the pastor said, Iris, are you really serious? Are you really serious about this? She said, yes. He said, all right, when you get in the car with me. He took her down to the street that she worked, the street corner where she worked. And he said, Iris, if you're really serious, we're going to get out here. You're going to get on your knees and ask Jesus to forgive you and to save you. And she did. The place where she had worked as a prostitute, she got on her knees and asked Jesus to save her. And then she said, I knelt down as a prostitute, but I stood up a lady. That's what God does when we turn to Him. He is able. Do you wish to get well? Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation as people consider the question. I pray, Lord, that in their heart of hearts that they will say, yes, I do. I want to be made well. I want to be made whole. And Lord, today they would put their faith in you. Be forgiven. Be redeemed. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Just a moment, we stand to sing the hymn of invitation. My friend, the invitation is, what will you do with Jesus? Do you wish to be made well? If you've never trusted Christ, come. He'll save you today, forgive you, cleanse you. If you're lukewarm, why don't you go ahead and commit to Him? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. Stand with me, please, as we stand, the choir sings, you come, I'll greet you as you do.